Uh, before I share some of these stories, Sammy writes in uh, in answer to, is anal sex allowed according to the Quran? If a young bride has her menses and her husband does not want to get her pregnant, Sammy writes, according to the Quran, anal sex is not allowed in any situation. Uh, the other thing I was thinking is this young bride, would she have anything to say about it? Um, <laughs> would be an important part of it. Um you must have heard this story. The woman who allegedly used her boyfriend's credit card and left a $5,000 tip. This 24-year-old woman from upstate New York, she's been charged with grand theft in Florida where authorities allege she used her boyfriend's credit card to leave a $5,000 tip for a waitress who'd served her breakfast. The breakfast was all of uh, $55. That was uh, the bill, but she was upset with her boyfriend for refusing to pay for her return flight to New York, and uh, he put a hold on his credit card. Not long after, uh, the complaint states that he had the hold lifted, and the woman who uh, from Buffalo allegedly used it to pay the bill for her meal on June uh, 27, and then of course added a $5,000 tip. This was uh, this happened in Florida. The boyfriend filed a complaint after disputing the charge with his credit card company, and according to the complaint, the restaurant had already turned over the generous tip to the waitress. So I was, I was listening. Uh, I don't remember which day it was, but people were discussing it on air in terms of should she uh, should she return the money? But she's been given the money, maybe even spent the money. What then? Uh, Wolf, the complaint alleges, initially denied making the charge, but ultimately confessed and turned over her boyfriend's card. Talk about nasty, getting back at somebody, using, oof, not healthy, not healthy at all. Is love at first sight real? Is this a phenomenon that actually exists and, and uh, anecdotally, yes, I'm sure I'm going to hear uh, from people or I've heard from people over the years who've told me absolutely fell in love immediately when I laid eyes on my partner. Do you believe in love at first sight? It certainly makes for a very exciting story, doesn't it? Um, but what is it that explains this rapid, loving connection? What is it? What is love at first sight. Basically, it's it's forming those first impressions very quickly and gauging how we feel about another person in seconds, right? Um, now, studies have found that by taking a quick glance at a person's face, we can make a split-second decision as to whether or not he or she is trustworthy. So, studies have shown that. Uh, but, of course, when we're first drawn to a person, it's based on oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes on physical appearance. And research has suggested that we are quickly attracted to people who look like us. So that's another uh, experiments done. This was in, in 2010. Uh, and this uh, this group of people, of, of researchers, show that showed that people prefer faces that were immediately preceded by a subliminal photo of their opposite sex parent or morphed with their own image. So people find uh, people who look like them more um, attractive. But what creates the jump from that first glance attraction, which is simply attraction, it's not love immediately, right? 
uh, to then stretch it to the feelings of love. So there's a theory called the halo effect, which is a a powerful phenomenon in which we form an impression of a person as a result of inferring attributes based on concrete information. In other words, we assess one area. So, for example, we view a person as attractive, and that can influence our beliefs about the person on other attributes or uh, like on their personality. So the, the whole, the halo effect is basically what is beautiful is good phenomenon. That's the type of uh, halo effect. So people who are judged as beautiful are also judged to have more socially desirable personality traits, to be more likely to succeed in their jobs and to be better partners. So from this split-second judgment of attraction, we potentially infer qualities about the person that would make them a good partner and even someone we are likely um, to love. Of course, that's just the initial thing. If you're lucky, it develops into the the building of a a strong uh, relationship and a foundation and all of that, and then you can look back and say, oh yes, I fell in love immediately. Um, But many of us do this, right? This is is part of uh, human nature, really, and this is what the, the research is showing. Do you believe in love at first sight? Has it happened to you? Now I want to talk a little bit about something that I, I think I mentioned possibly last week as well. We talked about um, the study that showed that millennials are going on fewer dates and they're having less sex and they're marrying later. And the question's being asked, do they know something about love that the rest of us just don't? Is the secret to lasting love to take it really slow? Because really that's what's happening with a lot of millennial relationships. They're taking it really, uh, really slow. And an anthropologist, Helen Fisher, calls it slow love. And she says, it's not that millennials are wrecking marriage. It may be that they actually value it more. Would you agree with that statement? She says, it seems everyone is swept up in a very myopic understanding of sex, love, and romance. I would like people to understand that while millennials are not marrying yet and they are not having as much sex as my generation, the reasons for this are good. In 2018, the median age of first marriage was approaching 30. That's more than a five-year delay in marriage compared to, uh, not to 1980. So pretty much they're more or less their parents' age or a little bit before. And that was 24 years old for men and 22 for women. How many 22-year-olds today are uh, getting married? Not too many. A 2017 study found that many younger millennials in their early 20s aren't even having sex and are more than twice as likely to be sexually inactive than the previous generation. Plus, Another study done of people between the ages of 25 to 34 found that people spend on average six and a half years together before getting married. 
So that has also changed for this generation. And I guess this is why we're calling it slow uh, love. So what are some people saying about this? They're saying that uh, digital saturation has made millennials more socially isolated, restless, and entitled, which could explain why they are having less sex than earlier generations. And when millennials do have sex, it's often viewed as less meaningful because they engage in hookups or sexual relationships described as friends with benefit. But Dr. Fisher, who's this anthropologist, did a huge study. She collected data on more than 30,000 people related to their courtship and uh, marriage trends. And she believes that instead of criticizing and judging millennials, perhaps we should be paying more attention. It's possible that today's singles are carving a more successful path to lasting love than previous generations. She notes that people who date three years or more before marrying are 39% less likely to divorce than people who rush into marriage. Uh, so this is something that, uh, there's a, like a, a, a pre-commitment stage with this, right? Uh, with slow love, she says, maybe by the time people walk down the aisle, they know who they've got and they think they can keep who they've got. And if you ask millennials, they will tell you that there's nothing casual about their approach to sex, dating, and romance. Hooking up with someone doesn't mean that millennials don't value marriage. If anything, they value it more because they are putting a lot more forward thinking into that decision. She says her research shows that today's singles seek to learn as much as possible about a potential partner before they spend time, energy, and money on a courtship. I'm not talking about marriage, on a courtship. As a result, the path to romance has changed significantly. Whereas a first date used to represent the getting to know you phase of a courtship, now going on an official date with someone comes later in the relationship, which is interesting because part of that courtship now, even prior to the courtship, comes the sex. So the first date has changed. It's time consuming and expensive. So now they have a basically a sex interview with a person to see if they want to invest in a first date. Completely changes the way we date. So think about this. Millennials now have basically a sex interview with a person to see if they want to invest in a first date. Not to invest and commit to. Just a first date. So this may be explaining the uh, hookup culture as well. So this anthropologist says that, uh, you know what, maybe this is, we can learn a lot from uh, millennials. And she believes that today's singles are setting a good example for future generations by having a more thoughtful view of marriage and commitment. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but that is... What she believes. I think I find it's fascinating study. Fascinating. Uh, Texter writes, sorry, but millennials are no smarter than the rest of us. They are just generally more spoiled and self-centered and want everything or nothing. Well, that's a pretty big statement to make. Pretty big statement. Uh, and speaking of uh, millennials, coming up, I want to talk about foodie calls. Talked about it with Ken Connors earlier in the week. Scientists are studying have studied women who go on dates 
for free meals. The Foodie Call is next. Plus, we'll play Dirty Minds and your chance to win a one-month unlimited pass to 360 Punch. We'll do that coming up after we check in with our CJD 800 Newsroom. Time to play Dirty Minds. This is the portion of the program where I give you some dirty clues, which I have to tell you, I do not enjoy reading these out. I much preferred when uh, Kaya Bear used to do them for us on Friday nights, and I don't want to put uh, Benson through that, our technical producer, just yet, and watch him totally blush. So he'll have to practice separately. So here goes. And then you just call in with the right answer, 514-790-0800. First caller through gets it right, will win a one-month unlimited pass to 360 Punch. It's a boutique uh, gym on the West Island. It's on the 40 between uh, Sources and Hymas. You can find me there almost every morning, uh, punching bags. Uh, But if you want to join me for, you want to try a free class, I'll be there tomorrow morning at 10.15. So if anybody wants to join me there and take a free class, I would love to see you and make sure to let me know and say hi. All right, here goes. For a price, you can ride me all day. You have to come in my tunnel before you can go home, but you better remember to get off at just the right time or you'll have to ride me again. What am I? This is actually part of the dirty deeds segment, but um, what am I? So if you got the answer, call Benson standing by to take your calls at 514-790-0800. So you've heard of the booty call for sure, right? Everybody's pretty much heard of the booty call. But what about the foodie call? There's a study done who that looked at women who go on dates just to get free food. And they looked at what are the personality traits of these women who are more likely to go on dates to get free food. But they also looked at like how common is this how common do you think this is in terms of uh, women doing this so basically researchers looked at whether women pretend to be interested in men to take advantage of the traditional idea that the man should pay for dinner on the first date the study only involves straight couples so it's not generalizable to everybody Uh, of the total women studied They had engaged in between five to six so-called foodie calls on average, but there was a a great variety. One woman had gone on as many as 55 of these dates. So the first half of the study involved about 700 heterosexual women with an average age of 34. They were asked to respond yes or no to the question, have you ever agreed to date someone who you were not interested in a relationship with Um, because he might pay for your meal. If they said yes, the participants were asked to rank how often they had done this on a scale of one to six. And then they measured the, uh, what's known as the dark triad of personality traits, meaning uh, Machiavellianism, psychopathy, and narcissism. So, and I'll tell you a little bit about that, as well as that, what were their attitudes towards 
traditional uh, gender rules. So individuals who are Machiavellian are more likely to manipulate and deceive. Psychopaths lack remorse and empathy and are less likely to consider the feelings of others. And narcissists have an overly positive view of themselves and are self-focused, entitled, and disinterested in warm relationships while being socially adept. So those are the called the dark triad of uh, personality. So what did they find? Of the total, 23% of the women had been on a foodie call. So 23% had done this. And most thought it was moderately unacceptable. They did it anyway. Uh, but those who had done it obviously were more likely to regard it as acceptable. So there was about 15% of the women who answered frequently, they frequently did this, and 10% very frequently. So when they took into consideration the personality traits, what do you think they found? It wasn't women who were who scored on, on, on psychopathy were psychopaths, not even narcissists. It was the women who were found to be more Machiavellian, which are deceitful basically and manipulative. So the, the women who are manipulative and deceitful were the ones more likely to go on these foodie calls. And they also found a link with women who believed in traditional uh, gender roles. What's so interesting is there's a, in, in this article that I was reading, there's uh, a quote that said, in short, get over it. Women exploit men, men exploit women. These are not necessarily pathologies, but can be the result of recurrent selection pressures in what you could call the battle of the sexes. Both sexes have goals that are sometimes in conflict with the opposite sex, and they have developed both evolutionarily and ontologically tactics to extract what they need. Basically saying this is part of our biology or uh, from an evolutionary perspective. Foodie calls, how would you feel? Now, and I'm wondering too, they only studied women, but what if they had studied men and men's beliefs in terms of their expectations if they bought dinner. So if they paid, was there more of an expectation that they would get the booty call rather than the foodie call? So more research needs to be done on that. Let me share a couple of text messages for you. Uh, let me see if we have a winner yet. Uh, oh, we do have a winner. Our uh, winner is uh, Carl. So let me repeat our dirty deeds here. For a price, you can ride me all day. You have to come in my tunnel before you can go home, but you better remember to get off at just the right time or you'll have to ride me again. The answer is the subway. So, Carl, congratulations. I could never get those these right simply because my mind, you know, I talk about sex all day and all evening. So that's where my mind just naturally goes. I, it's hard to separate, but I'm so glad. Like we have winners every, you know, every week. So it's good. Some people can actually separate that those two things. Good for you. Um, all right. Sperm donor unknowingly fathered dozens of children. He's known as Canada's most prolific sperm donor, and nobody can tell him, poor guy, how many children he has actually fathered. 
And he says that this keeps him up at night and he has to be in therapy because of this. They won't identify him, obviously, to protect his privacy and to protect that of his biological children. But he says he was misled by the Toronto sperm bank he visited regularly over a period of five years, more than 20 years ago. He says, I was told a donor would never have more than 10 or 15 children, but he knows that is far from true because some families of his biological children have contacted him and others have formed support groups. The donor knows he is the biological father of more than 15 children, probably closer to 50 children, 50 children in the same city. Think of the potential issues here. And what did I just, you know, I, I earlier, just before, talked to you about a study uh, about attraction and how we tend to be attracted to people who look like us. Can you imagine if they don't know that they are actually half-siblings? Like, this could easily happen in a city. This is scary. He says, I would never have agreed to it if they had told me it was going to be 50 to 100. It keeps me awake at night. Among his offspring are children whose parents were patients of Ottawa's Dr. Norman Barwin. He was in the news very recently. They were inseminated with the donor sperm without their knowledge. So the people going in there weren't even told that they were being inseminated. This is like, it gets crazier, this story. It gets crazier because this same doctor has been accused of inseminating these patients with his own sperm. And some of them were supposed to be inseminated by their husband's sperm, and now they find out that it wasn't their husband. It was somebody else and a donor. Like, this is crazy. There's very few regulations in Canada, apparently, and and that's a a clear problem. Coming up, some of your uh, texts and what? really attracts partners to each other. I'll share another interesting study with you after we check traffic with Lauren Glazer. Let me get to some of your texts in response to some of the stories we're sharing. Uh, On Love at First Sight, yes, met my wife. There is a time, party after party, told a friend to tell me to call her. I did. I thought she was... Uh, Blowing me up, turned out she was a flight attendant. First time we spoke for several hours, 13 years married this year. Well, congratulations. Uh, And when it has to do with millennials and the way they date and love, and, uh, well, we saw it's very different. According to this texter, sex interview, it reduces women and men to escort levels. Trying before buying. I believe that millennials are smarter, but they intellectualize everything. There is a hyper-intellectualism that makes them not take chances. Uh, Well, possibly, but maybe there's something to learn from that. And I don't know if it reduces men and women to escort levels. They're just dating differently. They're dating differently. This slow way to love, really. Uh, Somebody asked a question. Is sex trafficking common here in Montreal, and is the SPVM doing anything meaningful to stop it? I can't speak for the SPVM. I'm not, I I believe there's a a task force for these kinds of things, or, or at least some police officers or what have you that are dedicated to the, the sex trade for sure. Um, 
how common it is, I don't know. All I know is we live in a port city, and when you're in a port, all kinds of stuff happens. <laughs> all kinds of uh, trafficking uh, can happen. So, yes, I believe there is sex trafficking. There's sex trafficking almost all over the world, unfortunately. Um, but it, I know that it does happen here. I just couldn't tell you any numbers. Uh, there are also more STDs among millennials. Very true. I wish there was more condom use among millennials, but not. Uh, and Bruna says, good evening, Dr. Lori. I don't expect a full meal on a date, but I don't do coffee anymore. What's wrong with a drink or dessert? That's fine, but what's wrong with a coffee date? I don't see anything wrong with a coffee date. At the, the very first date to see if there's something there to then uh, take it further and actually go on a, a longer date, I think is a, a very good. I think a 20-minute, half-hour date, first time, especially with all the people who's do, who are doing this online, right? It's like meet quickly, do it in a, in a really timely fashion rather than spend uh, weeks and weeks back and forth, back and forth, developing some kind of relationship online, which is really could be very uh, discouraging and disappointing once you meet the person. So meet them as quickly as possible, public place, short date, and then you see if you want to, uh, to continue. I think that's the best way to go. But whether it's a coffee, a drink, a dessert, you know, the, the whole point is it's not a six hour, uh, initial date in a restaurant kind of thing. A really interesting study that they did that was done. I love the way they went about this. Uh, and they look, the researchers were looking at what really attracts partners, uh, to each other. Do different people value different things under different circumstances? That was the big question. This uh, study came out of Texas and Oregon. Uh, so they had 250 men and women imagine that they were single and that they could design an ideal opposite sex partner. So they would be like creating their ideal partner. So each person, each subject was shown a list of physical traits. Half of the traits were facial traits like eyes, nose, hair, complexion, smile. The other half were bodily traits, height, muscle tone, muscularity, chest size, breast size, waist size, hip size. And then the volunteers were told that they could adjust each of these traits to create a partner who was more or less attractive. So they were able to set all of that, but they all had a value. So, um, for example, setting the partner's hair to a value of 10 would result in a partner with the best hairstyle Im imaginable. And a zero was the worst. So, uh, well, it makes sense, right? 10 is the best, zero the worst. But then they gave them a budget. Each subject only had a limited amount of points. That was their budget. Uh, so they had to decide which traits were most important to them, which uh, I thought was brilliant to do this. Uh, some volunteers were given a large budget, 70 points. Others were given a small budget of 30 points. And then participants were also uh, randomly placed in one of two groups. They were either had to design a partner for a long-term relationship, or they had to design a partner for a short-term relationship. 
I love science, like like the social sciences like this, when people come up with these great studies. Uh, so the psychologist found that men who designed a partner for a long-term relationship allocated a larger proportion of their budget to facial traits than body, regardless of size of their budget. So um, they preferred a long-term partner who is facially rather than bodily attractive. They focused on the face, not the body. But when men designed a partner for a short-term fling, they cared less about the face and more about uh, the body. So those with more competitive budgets allocated more of their points to facial traits over um, bodily traits. Meanwhile, women allocated more points to facial traits regardless of budget and regardless of whether they were designing a partner for long or short-term relationships. So generally women are much more focused on facial characteristics than on the body. It's very interesting. They they talk about, I mean, you can look this up and, and get a little more information about this, but looking at the, um, the like, kind of the evolutionary perspective of this in terms of fertility and is it the face that uh, says more about a person's fertility? There, it, it, you know, it, it gives you more clues into their age, for example, than uh, the body would. Um, and also for short-term versus long-term. So there is an evolutionary part to this, uh, but these are, of course, uh, just uh, theories. But super interesting. I, I find that absolutely uh, fascinating. And one last story. Do I have time? I'll take the time to do this. Uh, the spillover effects of sex. Another piece of research that shows that sex with your spouse or partner may boost your mood at work. We often hear about taking work home and it you're being so stressed out from work that it affects your relationship. But what happens when you're having sex before you go to work or the next day? Uh, well, they uh, looked at this, right? That there's a, something called the uh, spillover effect, according to this research. The group tracked 159 employed married adults for two weeks. The participants answered questions about their experiences at home and at work, morning, noon, and night. And the team's primary goal was to see if sexual activity at home was related to positive outcomes in the workplace. This is, reminds me of the study that, or the article that I had talked about, those who say that masturbation at work could increase productivity. Anyway, that's a, a side note. But after nights when participants reported having sex with their spouses, they were in a more positive mood at work the next day. Participants also reported being more satisfied with their jobs if they'd had sex the night before, uh, and this was largely due to their increased positive mood which uh, was also associated with being more engaged at work. And it, what, this, this was the same, the potential benefits wasn't just in a case of happy marriages, but in all, for all marriages. But there is a catch. The study also found that work-related stress makes, less, makes sex less likely. So if you are coming home from work feeling frazzled and stressed, and pressured and all of that, you are less likely to be having sex. And so then you get this vicious cycle, unfortunately. That's it for us for this week of passion. 
Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with me, and thanks to our technical producer tonight, Benson Cook. Thanks to our passion researcher, Linda DeLisi. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, a wonderful weekend, and remember to live your life with passion. <laughs>